Okay, welcome to The Critical Angle. I'm here with Itai Ariel, one of my great friends in the industry. He's also a legend, known by many. He sells diamonds and he sells a lot of them. How are you, Itai? I'm fine, Rick. Thank you very much for inviting me. Now you are, uh, you're, you're coming to us from Canada, live from Vancouver. That is correct. How is, how's everything in Canada these days? Canada, Canada is, is, uh, is a beautiful country. We got, we got ocean, we got mountains, we got uh, free, free healthcare. It's a good place. <laughs> and you're in Vancouver, which it, from everything I hear is an awesome city. I am. Yeah. And we've had really great weather this summer. So, you know, we're happy to, happy to be here. That's awesome. Well, Itai and I have known each other for quite some time. We were trying to figure out how long we've known each other. I think it's been, we, we think between seven and 10 years. And the first time I met you was um, I was looking for diamonds and I wanted a specific cut. And I had gone to everyone saying, I need this cut. And I got turned down from everyone. And I, and I showed up to you and you said, I can do it. And I was like, wait, what? And uh, that's what I like about you. You've always had that attitude where you've been, you take a problem and you're very solution oriented, um, which is, I think, something that we can learn just uh, from the way that you lead. Um, but can you talk a little bit about that, your style of leadership? Yeah. I mean, firstly, with respect to the, the problem that you were having, I mean, we, we try and we try and, um, you know, not swim where everyone is at. And we try and really, you know, focus our attention on um, areas of the marketplace where we can add value and that we, we, we are sort of masters in that, in that categories. And one of those things that you came to talk to us about was you were looking for, you know, very well-made, you know, in fact, the, the, the top of the, of, of the cut standards for, for diamond grading. And that is something that we've always, um, focused on instead of just cutting diamonds that were, you know, very good standards or lower, we always focused on trying to deliver the very, very best that we can with respect to the, to the material. And can you tell us a little bit about how you got in this business? Yeah. So, you know, the diamond world, as you, as you know, is a very small, um, and, uh, and, and kind of, well-kept secret you know there's there's about 50 odd families that are in the diamond business at our level uh it is a family business the business started in the 1940s so we're approaching uh, uh 80 years wow um, in canada we're here since 1982 so we're 40 years this year in, congrats uh, in canada thank you um, I know that Skis Jewelers has a long history as well. How many years have you guys been in business? We're 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 a hundred this year. We got we hit the triple digits. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm just a, I'm just a, we're just a youngin compared no, to you. Guys. We're just happy to be in business, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Happy to be here. So, you know, it it was the business was in the family for a while. Uh, after university, I really wanted to sort of make sure I can get a job on my own. And I worked for Procter and Gamble up in uh, Canada as a product manager for uh, uh, Tide. Oh, wow. Was, uh, unique experience. Yeah, I've I noticed you've, for, you always smell really good. So that, that probably oh, yeah. explains that. And I was very clean. <laughs> um, and then uh, after some time with them, I, I moved into uh, working in the diamond field. Nice. And where did you start out in the diamond field? Did you start out just uh, like sales so, or retail? Yeah, no. So, so I actually went uh, and spent the first um, the first while I was in the factories. Like I learned 
the trade, like with the actual material to understand, you know, what it takes to sort of bring these diamonds to life and appreciate the uh, craftsmanship, because that's really what it is. I think that if people understood the amount of attention to detail and craftsmanship and, you know, years of experience to be able to bring you know these diamonds to the quality that they're used to or that people take for granted they they wouldn't anymore you know one one of the things that we we've always tried to do because we work very closely with the mines up in canada is that we bring um people up to the north to like consumers through through our through our distribution through our through our uh, retailers and to show them the amount of effort that goes towards bringing these diamonds from the ground you know after 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 the excavation and bringing these diamonds from from the earth and how much work goes into manufacturing them and the technical expertise that's required you know no one's going to try and negotiate you know 10% or 15% at the store level they just really appreciate the the art of of what they're able to get in their in their in their hands and i think that oftentimes uh uh consumer will think, well, diamonds are just everywhere. You know, you hear some of these things that somebody will post one YouTube video and some guy who's from Hollywood does 20 minutes of research and does a YouTube video and it goes viral. And next thing you know, everyone's telling you that diamonds are everywhere you go. They're, they're just, there's so many diamonds and they're all hoarding them. And somehow there's this group of, of hoarders that release diamonds little by little. Um, have you heard any of that, those types of things through the years? I've, I've, I've heard, you know, the nonsense of it and, you know, fact is, and, and this is, this is factual information, diamonds that are uh, sold to us come out of the ground 30 to 45 days before they're offered for sale. And then those diamonds take us 60 to 90 days to manufacture them in our uh, state-of-the-art facilities. And then they're offered for sale to the likes of our, of our retailers. And so the the supply chain is actually very very quick in comparison to what consumers may actually think um how is the supply chain speaking of supply chain how has that been affected for your business has that affected you at all um i know the alrosa mine was, is 30 ish percent of the world's diamonds i was from what i've heard and also units and value i think 30 percent which is a big number how has everything affected you I mean, we are uh, we are a Canadian uh, manufacturer. We uh, are audited by KPMG and are sort of hold ourselves to the highest standards with respect to um, you know integrity of our work. So our, the quality of our staff, our 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 standards are the best in the industry. I think that it's quite unfortunate with what's going on in Russia because, you know, from a human aspect, you know, we did business with them before and there are people that, you know, are, have families and they, they, they don't have a job now. And these are good people who are not supportive of what's going on in Russia. And it's, it's, it's a shame. It, it really is a shame because it's affecting people on a individual level. And I, I don't like to see people suffer from both sides of the uh, Russian Ukrainian situation saying that, you know, we uh, haven't uh, purchased any Russian diamonds on, because we are not we're mandated not to since February of 2022. Um, I think that there are shortages in the marketplace because, yes, you know, R Russian goods are very high quality product that used to enter the, the marketplace. Um, 
And so from a supply side for us, it's been a, a bit more challenging, but fortunately we are able to manage uh, through it. The, the, the circumstance as of COVID is, is a different one. You know, we, you know, shipping lanes are, are taking longer. In fact, double, if not triple the time frame. Used to we used to have shipments come in from our factories that take two or three days. Today, they're, you know, 10 to 14 days. Also, some of our equipment is uh, automated uh, robotic equipment. And where it used to take us, you know, a few days to bring in parts, you know, now you're talking about months and months of, of lead time where machines can be, you know, idle. And so in that respect, it seems like the world is turning a little bit slower than, uh, than, it, than it was in the past. Yeah, that is, uh, it's a fascinating time to be in the industry. It seems like a, it seems like a very, um, I don't know, uh, a, a time where people are going to test new things and new ideas. Because really, you know, from everyone I talk to, it, you kind of have to have a new playbook because everything has changed. I mean, COVID has changed everything and we're not going back on some levels, you know, from some of the things that we've learned uh, over the past couple of years and the habits we have, even digital habits and things like that. Um, so it's kind of a new playbook. But then, of course, the old rules always apply. You know, the simple, the simple, straightforward rules of business. Um, I think I think that if you if your business is focused around providing value to your customers, whether it's B2B or B2C and your business is, you know, relationship driven and not transactionally driven and you are there for the long term and you are able to cater to the changing needs of your audience, then, you know, you'll do just fine. I mean, when I say audience, it's not only it's not only your customer, even though he's probably your most important component of your business, but it's your staff as well. You know, COVID has changed that. You know, staffing needs have changed. Um, people's flexibility and timing has changed. It's uh, it, but but if if you focus on, in my mind, if you focus on how do we add value to these people's lives, then uh, then then that's where the the real magic is. Yeah, that is genius. And um, it's interesting when you talk to some of the best leaders around, it's sometimes the simplest principles that just, they can guide you through tough times, you know, uh, if you keep those simple principles like you have. That's neat. Um, I was talking with another uh, big leader and he looked at me and he goes, you know, it's common sense, Rick. <laughs> and sometimes it's just the simple things, you know, like you're saying, you know, how you adding value to a customer. I mean, that's so simple, but you know, it, it's, it's needed right now. Um, to get sorry, that. No, I was going to say to get that, you have to have moments of quiet to get that. You have to be able to, you know, step back and, and, and take a look at your, at your business from a, from a different perspective. And sometimes it's not easy, right? You know, a lot of us live in that, box of you know very urgent not important tasks to do on a daily basis instead of the you know very important not urgent stuff to do and you have, sometimes you have to well in sort of critical periods in life such as what happened with covid it, you really needed to you know take a step back and see exactly you know how to chart the the path forward yeah that's that's uh profound itai um Somebody once said, you know, um, you know, 95% of what you do, what you, 95% of what you do, anyone can do 5% of what you can do. Only you can do. 
And a lot of us focus on that 95% too much, like you're saying, and we miss the 5% that only we can do. You know, uh, only we can encourage, say, an employee uh, and give them, you know, new new breath in their, you know, under their in their lungs and stuff. Uh, tell them they're doing a great job. That's that's all, the five percent we can do, or the five percent in terms of the top line management stuff. Um, that's cool. How so? What do you have coming? What's on the horizon for you? Um, what is on the horizon for us? Uh, we have been asked uh, by. Uh, as, uh, a certain group of individuals to set up a factory for them in Dubai, which is kind of interesting. So, you know, they've identified that we have the best technical expertise in the world for uh, a factory setup. So we've been asked to assist in, in that respect. That's a big wow. undertaking. Big undertaking. Um, there's that. We are reinvesting in our own facility in Toronto. So if you remember, we used to have a big facility in Sudbury next to the mine in uh, the Victor Diamond Mine. And unfortunately, that mine after 12 years, you know, uh, was done. There was no more diamonds in the ground. And so we gave a more than a year's notice for our staff to say, hey, this is what's coming down the pipeline. We don't need a factory in Sudbury if there's no diamonds coming out of, uh, out of, on, out of, out of that mine site. But after a year and a half of... Uh, not having an operational facility in Canada, we made a decision that we actually need something very close and that we are going to repivot and you and reopen a facility in Toronto. And in fact, half the staff that um, we had to let go um, in Sudbury said they'd be, they'd be thrilled to move to Toronto and move their families to Toronto to continue to work with us. Yeah, that's great. I also think it's important to surround yourself with, um, with, with, an executive team that uh, their, you know, magic point is sort of your weaknesses and not be threatened by the fact that they know better than you in certain circumstances because they're challenging your authority. But in fact, learn to accept that, that there are smarter people in certain areas around them. And I think that's the way you build sort of this beautiful, you know, home where everyone is you know, has the talent in every different field. I got to be honest, you have some of the best uh, sales reps. And as you're saying this, I was just thinking of Wendy, one of my yeah, favorites. She's, she's one of our superstars for sure. Yeah, she is out of Chicago and or I, I think she's based out of Chicago, right? Yeah, she lives Still? in Chicago. Yeah. yeah. And um, I got to be honest, uh, you've got a great team. I mean, I've met a lot of your team and uh, they're really fun to work with. So, yeah, yeah that's all you agree. in that department. I always thought that I was the best in sales until I built this team and, you know, they, they do a much better job than I do. I just stay out of their way. And if I, and if I don't, they're, they're, they're quick to tell me to stay out of their way. So, which is I, fine. I have the same type of team. If you have a team that can tell you to get out of the way, then you know, you're, you're doing something right. Cause yeah, I think that the biggest good. challenge in leadership is your ego sometimes is our own ego and our ego always. flares up and you don't realize your ego is actually hurting your business growth. It's literally tripping you up or hurting your business growth or stopping you from hearing a good piece of advice or stopping you from being able to apply a good piece of advice. And so I'm constantly working on that every day. It's like slamming my ego down, like, get out of here, you know, we're, we're, we're building yeah. something. Somebody told me the other day that if someone upset you, upsets you in the office, before replying, sit in silence and take 24 hours 
to reply to that comment and see if it's the same reply. And I was like, you know what? That's not bad uh, advice. You know, instead of like getting triggered and automatically getting upset, you know, take it in, find the silence and take the time to respond accordingly. And, you know, nine times out of 10, your response the day after is going to be significantly different than your response at the moment. And people don't understand that's the difference between a good leader and an excellent leader right there. I think it's, it's how you, how you manage those little tiny moments. And the word that we forget in our society that I've really been focusing on lately is prudence. Prudence is making excellent decisions in day-to-day -day moments. And that's where I think sometimes as a leader, we can get tripped up, uh, like you're talking about being triggered. And then you kind of, maybe you answer something too quick and, um, you know, it lacks prudence. So yeah. I, I hear I like what you're that, saying. I like that word a lot. I would use the, I, I, I would also go back to the issue of respect, not only respecting the people that work around you, but respecting the moment and respecting the opinion and having the wherewithal to actually, you know, like you said, the, the prudence to think about it before you actually provide your feedback. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. I think that I think that we're in a society where people are moving too fast and sometimes you just have to slow down to get to the, 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 the right path forward. Yeah. And um, another thing I've been kind of thinking through lately is the midterm to long-term thinking. Most of us get stuck in the short term and a lot of the decisions we make are short term and those can be based on cash or it can be based on pressure. But uh, you see the companies that are, that have a lot of short-term expectations and it really hampers their ability to, to do well, I think in the mid to long-term then you see companies that are more mid to long-term long focused and they do quite well over time. They might face the same hurdles, everyone, but they're not doing the knee-jerk reaction. And I think that's um, really smart. I, I think that, that uh, that's a luxury that some of us have. I think that, uh, you know, unfortunately, there are, you know, you make bad decisions when your back is to the wall and you aren't able to make the right decision because of cash flow, because of you know, different business constraints. I think that if you, if you have the, the luxury to be able to be prudent on the decisions that you make and to think about the consequences for the long term, I think, I think you're in a wonderful, wonderful position. Yeah. So I guess the goal is to get there, right? Somehow you're, you're there already. Uh, you're, you're a midterm to long-term thinker from what yeah, I, from we what always I know. have. Yeah. yeah. We always have been, we always have been. I mean, you know, uh, I can tell you that during COVID in those few months, those the, the, when COVID shut down in March, when we, you know, we didn't have any one of our accounts sending us money on payments that were due and our sales stopped. And uh, we talked about this, I, uh, a member of YPO, and, you know, we get on these calls every day with business leaders in our community. And it didn't matter whether you had a business that's in the billions or whether you had a business of in the tens of thousands, you know, all of us had a runway of cash. Some yeah. of us had two weeks of cash and some of us had, you know, six months of cash and nobody knew, you know, when the world would open up again. And it was, uh, it was a very scary time for a lot of people because, you know, there was constraints that needed to happen. And I think that during that time, you, you were really able to measure your leadership style, because I am sure even in your position, you had some of your vendors call you up screaming for money that they need. They need, And then you had some vendors who said, you know what, we are in it together. We understand 
the of the of, of what's going on and and we're here to help as best we can and you know you measure people in, in those times right in terms of uh in those times where the the pressure is unbearable but you know that's where you see your 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 true it's like your char- your character comes out a hundred percent you know when you're pressed a hundred percent we all need 100%. that. We all need to know. Okay, well, what are my limitations? You know, it's kind of good to get pressed like that. But yeah, that, but it who, all comes but out. But who, who can you lean on, right? Like, yeah. uh, business is all about relationships. Um, that, that's at least our philosophy around it. It's not about the next sale. It's about the relationships that you have upstream and downstream. Your relationship with your customers. Your relationship with your vendors. And you know, in critical times where you know people feel under pressure. You know who can you lean on in terms of your in terms of your family right these are your professional family yeah that's so that's so wise um and for me personally i i would say that my favorite part of my job is my relationships you know probably one of my my top favorite parts of the job also you got to have fashion jewelry is really fun to look at and beautiful diamonds um but that's probably one of my favorite parts and and uh we all go through it together i mean we all go through the fire together you know, and we all survive together if we can or help each other survive if we can. And and it makes it fun. And, and I think that's what makes our industry really unique because it is a small industry. And like you were saying at the start, it's a small industry. There's a small group of people and it's very hard to get into because you don't hear it advertised at college campuses. You know what I mean? A lot of times it's just word of mouth or you're born into it, like one of the two or you fell into it. Um, and so it's a small community, but uh but it's really fun to be a part of. I think I, as much as this is kitschy, I do think it's great that we are in an industry where we are actually able to celebrate people's moments in their life, right? We, we are there servicing all that, the happy moments in their life and we get to celebrate those with them, whether it's the birth of their children or graduation of their child from university or high school or, you know, you know, uh, birthdays or anniversaries. Like uh, I think it's, if again, if you take a step back and recognize that you're involved in celebrating people's, you know, happy moments in their life, and that jewelry and diamonds is still a gift of love, uh, and a, and a and a gift of adoration, then it's then it it makes you feel good, right? Like we're we're not we're not in the plumbing it business. Does. No, we're not. We're not. We're not. You know, we're we're not divorce attorneys. You know, no, we, we could divorce be divorce attorneys, but I would yeah. be. Oh man, I'd be the worst. I'd be like, I don't want to hear your problems. I got enough of my own. Yeah. Yeah. Or imagine all day long you're solving people's fits, you know? Like Forget in their, it. It's not, you know, you don't, you can't have a, you can't go home happy there. Not that there's anything against those jobs, but it's just for me, no. for my wiring, it's not quite. Hey, I want to ask you a question. Um, I'm, I'm give, keeping you a little long here, but you're, you're, you got a lot going on. Um, can you talk a little bit about synthetics? Um, you, you sell natural diamonds. That's your business. Can you Correct. talk a little bit about synthetics and and what what from your perspective, how do you feel like synthetics fit in the market? So, is there a place for synthetic diamonds in the market, and and what is your opinion on them? I think it all goes back to I think it all goes back to um, being transparent with your customer. Do I think there's a place? Yeah. I think there's a place. I think if we, I think that if we are, if we uh, continue to say that synthetics are are are, are not going to be something that will be around for a while, I think that we are, 
I think that we, we we may not be honest with ourselves. It seems that that lab grown business is is growing. That's a fact. Um, it seems like uh, today's customers, today's consumers, for those synth synthetic lab grown diamonds, they don't seem to care so much for the long term value of that of that diamond. I think that it's important for us to explain to them that, you know, this gem is going to continually decrease in price and doesn't have a, you know, resale value. And if you're okay with that, then God, God bless you. Yeah. But I think that it's come to a market. I think it's come to an equilibrium where you have, uh, where you have consumers that are looking for diamonds that last forever, that they can pass on from generation to generation. And that, you know, something of a store of a store of wealth. And there's that level, which is sort of the real luxury market. If you, if I can say that, and then you have the uh, uh, lab grown or synthetic marketplace, which is a, a much lower price point. It's much more, you know, shiny and big and but it, it has no store of wealth whatsoever and it's a depreciating asset i think also and you know for the sake of transparency i think that a lot of retailers went into this because the margins on uh synthetics were just so high in comparison to natural you know natural diamonds it's not a it's not an industry where there is tremendous it's not a high margin, margin. yeah and and retailers got into it um, for the short term, kind of like what we talked about the, yeah. before, for the for the short term, um, uh, in order to make those much higher margins. And I think that there are also some retailers who weren't being fully disclo disclosure uh, or didn't provide full disclosure to their customers, which is even worse in yeah. my mind. And so I don't mind the business itself you know i i i i think that that it's a wonderful technological advancement but i think that we need to be very honest with our consumers to say hey this is not a finite commodity that you know is is precious and the world only has so much of it and you know it's, it's tremendous amount mineral. of work it brings yeah. it out of the ground this stuff is made in a device that's like a, a a microwave oven that every 35 days produces a diamond that you know we cut and polish and as the years go by there'll be more and more and more and more of it and because of that the price of it will continuously drop and you know if that's if they're okay with it then it's really not it's really not a com a competitive product to diamonds anymore do you know what i mean like it's not even the same thing in, in in my mind i also think sorry just one more thing i also think that it's important to note that there are some places where lab grown doesn't fit like for instance in melly or small diamonds the cost to manufacture those diamonds is more than the cost to than the cost of the actual material and so in Melly Diamonds, it doesn't make sense to you. Well, then how that... come you see Melly Diamonds uh, sliding into finished goods 
that are not natural. So those diamonds, in the past three years, there's been huge advancements in the growth of okay. uh, lab-grown. In the past, they were able to grow diamonds of, you know, 30-pointer or 40-pointer that can only be cut into a 10-point synthetic diamond. Today, they grow diamonds of 6, 7, 10, 12 carat rough that come, that gets that gets you a a 1 to or 1 to 3 carat polished diamond. Now what they do and I bet you you don't even know this, what they do is they don't grow small diamonds to make melly. They take a 10 carat diamond and they chop it up like a chopped salad to make melly. Did you know that? Is that not a correct way of cutting a diamond? Is that why you call it a chopped salad? No, but do you know what they take? They take this 10 carat diamond and they make like 40 little diamonds out of wow. it, which is, but do you, which is, is it ahead. more economical? Is it, is it going to become less economical to do that though? Based on what you were saying earlier or no? Yes, because the cost to manufacture it is more than the cost to manufacture a natural, which actually just comes out of the ground as small. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Like the, yeah. the, the, the labor to take a big block and make into 40 little diamonds is much higher than the labor to take a small diamond and polish it into a natural polished diamond that's just melly. Does um, that make sense? Yeah, it does make sense, Itai. And that's actually refreshing here, to be honest. Um, uh, one thing I was – the way that I thought about synthetics when they first came out, and I've actually had the same guiding principle since they first hit the market, is I believe we already know the synthetic – path based on the synthetic path of the emerald and the ruby and the sapphire and 100%. so i've never from the start thought that it was any different than the synthetic emerald ruby and sapphire of which the demand is not really that high um you know after the years and years and years they've been on the market um so that's kind of been my my guiding principle from, from the beginning i've never thought they were going to take over the scene at all um but, but I, I, think I think they'll have a place just like, you know, we had Mesonite come and go. And Moissanite? Had, and there's, yeah, Moissanite, Mesonite, Canadian, tomato, tomato. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think that, you know, they'll, they'll, find, they'll find their place. I hope and I, I truly believe that natural diamonds uh, stay sort of the gift of love and natural yeah. diamonds stay the value forever. And I think that. I think that if you're looking to invest in, or not invest, but if you're looking to give a gift of diamond that you want to be in your family for, you know, many years to come, I think that, I think that you're making a short-term decision over a long-term decision. You know, whether you give a, I will, a, I will tell business. you, I will tell you what happened to me, um, and I don't want to be specific at all, but I, I was at uh, uh, an event, a uh, rock concert, which was awesome. And I was chatting with some people and of course you're a jeweler. So everyone says, Hey, what do you think? You know, especially people that get newly engaged, they want to show you, Hey, what do you think of the ring? Of course, I'm always going to say it's amazing. You know, I'm never going to give you, be critical of a new engagement ring. That's not from my store. I don't know. You know, so I, I'm always like, Hey, it's great. You know, I'm celebrating the, the, the relationship and happy for them. And, um, Anyways, long story short, you know, he says, well, what do you think about the ring? And I said, I think it's great. And he says, well, it, you know, it's, it's not a natural. I bought it for, for it's, and I'm, I'm like, okay, well, you know, good. And uh, he says, I, I bought it for uh, eight grand in New York. And it was a, um, it was a, a, a fancy shape um, that was probably a carrot at, at best. And I was just thinking, um, I feel like that's not okay. 
for people to sell something that high a price. Well, that's the thing, right? We talked about this a second ago. Like, I think that people got into it for the wrong reasons. They got into it because of the huge margins that, uh, that they're able to make. I don't have a, I think that consumers walking into your store, Rick, are coming in because they want an experience and they want to be educated and they want to understand you're the expert in the room. Otherwise they can go online and they can think themselves as being the expert. And, you know, honestly, I do not have any issue with someone after understanding all of the criteria of LabGrown to make a decision into LabGrown and buy that one carat diamond for $2,000 retail, which is probably the yeah. acceptable retail price. That sounds price right. That. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, uh, if, if that's a decision you want to make and you want to buy a LabGrown diamond for $2,000 that we cannot predict what that value of it is going to be in the next two or three or four years versus a natural that's probably going to cost you $10,000, but will hold its value for a much longer period of time. If that's a decision you want to make and you're okay with it, you know, you, your job as a retailer, because you're relationship driven is to educate that consumer explain to him the consequences and the value of what it is that they're buying and then give him the very best you can in order to to get a customer for life do you know what i mean yeah but i think i think it's super wrong for retailers to go into this industry to i don't want to use the word defraud but it's like like i if you are selling a product and you're it's not dishonest. being 100%, it's dishonest it's yeah, dishonest you're not being 100% yeah. Honest, yeah, with what it is, I have a real issue with that. Yeah, that's the same thing as I have an issue with people selling, you know, uh, uh, diamonds with EGL certificates that are, you know, not being honest with, you know, the colors and clarities of those diamonds. Or like it, it's it, you, you have to. What, be you know honest. what I was told about EGL? You want to hear the funniest thing? I was I on the phone it. with a uh, diamond wholesaler who's trying to sell me EGL. And he says, "Hey Rick, um, you sh you should buy these EGLs. They're not that bad." And I said, "You know, I I don't I don't really trust the grades on on those, so I I don't really I don't sell those to my customers." And he says, "Listen, I want to explain EGL to you." I said, "Okay, explain EGL to me." He goes, "It's a different language." He's like, "You speak English. This is French. Hmm. You just have to learn oh. the different language, and it just oh. it works just fine." And I'm like, "That's your explanation? I got to learn a different language? Like this doesn't make sense to me." I, I lost him at the, it's not so bad. Like, <laughs> like we're in, we're in the business of, you know, luxury and, you know, you're not going to go into your, 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 it's not so uh, bad. yeah, you're not going to go into your, your Ferrari so uh, dealership and say, Hey, you should buy these Ferraris. They're not so bad. It's not, it's like the same car, but with a sticker that says Ferrari on it. But you know, when they were made in the back of our shop, they're not so bad. Like, what's wrong with people it's a different language oh like, it's so funny yeah you know it it goes back to your values like uh you need to be proud every day you wake up that you know what you are selling you are confident with and that you're not trying to peddle stuff like people need to really well i guess it speaks to the fact that i think that some people should not be in our industry yeah like it hurts our industry. And, yeah. Yeah. Can I ask you, and, what do and, you think about all, all those different languages has hurt our industry, right? Yeah. We, we, we got to speak the same language. That's for yeah. starters. Yeah. <laughs> um, can I ask you, what do you think about uh, 
certs going to um, synthetics, like uh, from labs, gem, gem labs? Like, do you have any problems with that at all in terms of them receiving the same certificate as a diamond? Um, maybe with a little uh, extra, extra. I think I think it's a. I think the labs went into it for the sake of making money. You know, like uh, I think that you know that to a, a GIA certificate is going to cost you a hundred dollars a carat and you know those labs are there to to get the business if you if you ask me my my honest opinion is that i don't think that lab grown diamonds should be um graded to the same standard of uh of natural diamonds because natural diamonds there's a different value on the diamond based on its rarity right color clarity size and we know today for instance that a collection color diamond a d color e color diamond is super rare right it's less than three percent of diamonds in the world are are def color and the reason they're priced so high is because you send them to an independent laboratory they tell you that it's a DEF uh, color. It's very rare to find. And that is why they're more expensive because, you know, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a very rare article. Lab-grown diamonds are not rare. Uh, and today they seem to be very good with their secret sauce to be able to grow DEF colors. And so when you have a marketplace today, which is selling lab growns under the same premise of, you know, Rappaport and the wholesale diamond system against a product that is not related to it at all, that is where the issue is. Like, if you ask me, I'm perfectly fine with the labs accepting the diamonds, grading them as lab grown diamonds so that you know so it's not a moissanite or it's not anything uh, it's not anything else but i think that we need to give it a grading standard that's different to natural because why are you you know what i mean like uh now it's not it's not the same it's not the same premise it's not the yeah, same it rarity. should be just like a one two three <laughs> well this is a natural diamond it gets a grade of one two or so we could go back to the old school yeah. days before d e and f we could do a b and c you yeah. know, and this is an A diamond. This is a B synthetic. Because it's not, C. it has nothing to do with it, right? The, yeah. the grading standards of a color and clarity are all based on rarity. They're all based and on with, rarity. with science, you're going to have everything D internally flawless in five years anyways. I guess. Yeah. So what's the point? A hundred percent. And the other thing too, I worry about a little bit is labor. So if we're all, if we're all short on labor and we're, and we're grading things that are maybe not as valuable, um, I think that's something to, to look at because we all have to protect our industry. You know, gems are, are, are real minerals, you know, and they're rare and, um, and they hold up. There's a definition. They're durable. They're rare. They hold up over time. They hold their value. And when we start saying, well, this is kind of the same, let's grade it the same. I, I think we're getting a little, sometimes I think we get a little off track, but you know, who knows? I no, I, I totally agree. I think, we're, I think we're saying the same thing that, yeah. uh, we need to provide some kind of third-party assurance to the consumer of what it is that they're getting 
but they shouldn't be getting the same thing as for a natural diamond because it's not under the same characteristics. Yeah. Well, Ita, I've taken a ton of your time today and I, this has been an amazing conversation. I super appreciate it. I'd like to be invited again. You will be invited again, sir. You're a good friend of mine and you're going to be on here. You know it. So yeah, uh, it was it was great, great catching up. And I think we learned a lot from you today in terms of the industry. It's really nice to see behind the scenes because we don't get to hear too much about these types of things. So thank you for sharing. Thank you for being uh, open. And uh, I really respect your leadership. I want you to know that. And uh, thank you for for doing a great job, man. We appreciate you. Thank you so much, Rick. And I, I can't say enough good things about what I think about you and your team and your store. And I just consider it a real privilege to be a good friend. So me too. I, I thank you. Well, have hold down Canada for us, will you? We will. All right. We will. We'll see you. We'll see you later. Talk to you soon. Have a great weekend. Sounds good. Bye. Bye.